this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. And it's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Cameron Journal podcast. I am so happy to welcome a truly interesting topic um, because it has to do with with talking, which is what I do, but it also has to do with, I'm sure, many other interesting things that we'll discover along the way. Um, I'd like to welcome Brendan Kramarasamy, I'm sure I ruined that, um, to the Cameron Journal podcast, and we're going to talk about talking. So welcome, Brendan. How are you? Very good, Cameron. By the way, you actually knocked that last name out of the park, so great job. Oh, thank you. I, I, I a wrong clock is right twice a day. <laughs> so, um, why don't you give us a brief overview about what you do, what Master Talk is, and just kind of give us a lay of the land? Yeah, for sure, Cameron. So, my name is Brady Kumarsami. I'm the founder of Master Talk. Master Talk is both a YouTube channel that I started to help the world master the art of communication, public speaking, and it's also a coaching business for executives and entrepreneurs to become top communicators in their industry. Excellent. Now, uh, how do you help people? Oh, pe- people say public speaking is their biggest fear, more than like the, their own death. So what do you do to help people overcome uh, those difficulties? Yeah, for sure, Cameron. There's a lot of steps here, but let's start with the most important one, which is to dream. So what do I mean by this? We dream about the expensive vacations we want to go on, the expensive things we want to buy, the things that we want to do in our life. When was the last time we dreamed about a life in which we're a great communicator in it? And that's the biggest problem is that we associate communication to negativity, fear, anxiety, stress. So no wonder we're not getting better at it because we see it like a chore, like doing the dishes. And nobody wants to get better at doing the dishes. So instead, I'll propose a different question, which is, How would your life change if you were an exceptional communicator? That's the question we need to ask ourselves more. And that's what gets us started in the path to mastering the art of public speaking. Yes. No, I think that there's an important kind of uh, business aspect in freedom, isn't there, that lends itself with doing that type of communication. Absolutely. Right. And that's what communication brings us because it's not about making money. It's not about getting the next job promotion. It's about every moment of our life. It's the way that we talk to our families. It's the way that we raise our children. It's the way that we eat food at a restaurant. It's the way that we meet strangers when we travel. When we realize communication is every moment of our life and it leads to a more fulfilling life. That's when we start to get excited about it and even implement any of the tactics we'll be talking about today. All right. So let's let's circle back to the beginning before we we get into all that. How did you get into doing this? 
Yeah, for sure, Cameron. So it all started when I was in university slash college. I went to business school and my goal isn't really to be a coach or a YouTuber. The goal is to be a corporate employee, actually. So I did these things called case competitions. Think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing rugby or basketball or baseball, I wasn't one of those kids. So I did presentations competitively. And that's how I learned how to speak. But then as I got older, I started to coach a lot of the students in those programs. And I realized after three years of doing that, that everything that I was sharing with the students wasn't available for free on the internet. So I started making YouTube videos on communication. I called it Master Talk. And a few years later, it turned into something I never could have imagined. Okay, that's quite impressive. Um, I, I I sometimes wish I'd gone to business school because I feel like, you know, a presentation competition would be something I would have actually excelled at um, because I have the athletic ability of an ant. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's quite, quite sad and quite sad and depressing. Um, all right. So what, what are some of the challenges? So you got really good at it in the competition space. Um, what were some of the things you had to overcome to get good at public speaking yourself? Yeah, for sure. Cameron. I mean, so many things. Uh, Let's start with the first couple ones. The first one is I grew up speaking a language I didn't even know. So I'm born and raised in a city called Montreal and in Montreal is a city where you need to learn to speak French. Except I didn't know the language. So my whole life studying in French, not only was I scared of communication, I was presenting in a language I didn't even know. So when I was in first grade, I look at the class and go, uh, bonjour. And that was my life as a kid. The second piece was I have a crooked left arm because of a surgery I had when I was two, three years old. The reason I mentioned that is because not only was I scared of speaking out, I also had a lot of trouble making friends because I had a big cast on my arm and nobody wants to talk to the kid they don't understand who has a big cast. And I still have that crooked left arm today. And then the third thing is you would think that a superstar communicator or an expert studied in communication. I have a bachelor's degree in accounting, pretty much anything but communication. And that's really the point I want to drive with the story is, you know, we're always going to have challenges along the way that stop us from being successful. But I would say the most important lesson is to always refocus on the message and the point. It's not about removing the fear because we're always scared at the end of the day. But there's always a message that is more important than the fear. And if we put our fear and our message in a boxing match, we need to make sure that the message gets the knockout punch. Definitely, definitely, definitely. I certainly, I certainly appreciate, appreciate that. Um, You have some high flying clients. Um, when you go into uh, to doing coaching and training for people in the corporate environment, why don't you give us a couple a couple tips? A lot of people listen to my to me on their way to work. I've always tell people the length of the podcast is either two short commutes or one long commute. So if someone's driving in the car right now to work and maybe they have some public speaking to do later today, what are a couple of things they can implement today that will improve their presentation? Absolutely, Cameron. I call this my easy threes. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time. One of them is eye contact, one of them is smiling, one of them is filler words, and it can get really confusing. So for me, it's all about what are the three first balls that we need to juggle. The first one is called the random word exercise. The random word exercise is all it is, is you pick a random word like nut, like case, 
like insane, like iPhone, and you create random presentations out of thin air with the word in mind. What I always tell clients is if you can make sense out of nonsense, you could make sense out of anything. So that's the number one exercise. You could do this with your kids if you have any, or in the car when you're with other family members or friends. Great way to stay accountable and to practice thinking on your feet. That's one. Two, question drills. We get asked questions all the time in our life, Cameron, at work, at school, on a podcast like this one. But most of us are reactive to the questions we get asked. We're not proactive. We wait for the question to appear. I remember a few years ago when I was first guesting on podcasts, I had no clue what I was doing. Somebody asked me the most fascinating question. He said, where does the fear of communication come from? And I looked at the guy and I said, I don't know, man, Los Angeles, San Diego, you tell me. I had no idea how to answer that question because I was being reactive, not proactive. So every day for five minutes, what I would do is I would answer one question that I felt my industry was going to ask me. And I did that every day for a year. Well, Cameron, if you do that five minutes a day for a year, you'll have answered 300 and 65 questions about your industry. You'll be bulletproof. That's number two. And finally, number three is so simple. Nobody does it. Make a list of the five people you love the most in your life. Your mom, your brother, your sister, your niece, your nephew, your clients, the people around you. And ask yourself, when was the last time? When was the last time you sent them not a 20-minute, not a 20-hour, but a 20-second video message just telling them how much you appreciate having them in your life? And for most of us, the answer is zero when we look at that piece of paper with those five names on it. So I would encourage you to start sending out a few video messages because that's what video messages teaches us, Cameron. It teaches us what communication is for, which is not a chore, but a way to create impact for other people. Yes, in social media, that's really great because it will get you good at doing stories and reels on Instagram or short videos on TikTok or stuff like that. So that that's not a bad skill to have depending on what you're doing. Social media managers, pay attention. Like, uh, absolutely, man. I, I yeah, it's so powerful. No, it definitely is the that sort of that sort of a, a ability to put things together in a very short in a very short period of short period of time. Um, I always love asking this question, but what was the the person or situation that you had the most difficulty getting on board with your speaking? plan and because I mean, when you're coaching somebody um you have like the thing that you do and the thing you know works for most people and then you have that one person or that one class and they're not having any of it they're just it's just not connecting what did you do <laughs> there's definitely been many of those situations in my career a lot less these days but definitely in the beginning I would say one in particular stands out to me, and it was a five-year-old. So one of my business partners said, hey, I need you to coach our clients as kids. And I said, why in the world would I do that? And he said, you need to learn how to do this because it serves your mission. If your goal is to get to the next Elon Musk, who's probably a seven-year-old kid right now, you need to learn how to coach that person too. And Vamsi was right. So I thought about it, and I said yes. So I get on a call with like 13 kids of all of our clients. And I start talking about presentations and how we're going to prepare one. And then a five-year-old asks me an amazing question, which totally justified. She just looks at me and, and says, hey, what's a presentation? 
And I put my hand on my face and I said, right, a five-year-old doesn't know what a presentation is. So I, I looked back at her and I said, oh, well, it's an introduction, a conclusion in the middle. And then she naturally asked me the right follow-up questions, Cameron, which is what's an introduction, what's a conclusion, and what do you mean by content? And I said, right, so how did I fix this? I really had to think on my feet here, and it took me some time to figure out the right answer. But the answer became an analogy I use to even my executive clients to this day which is jigsaw puzzles, those toy puzzles you used to as kids. So I asked her, I said, Julia, let's call her Julia. If you're working on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do you start with first? And then she goes, corners. I start with the edges first, which is the right answer. And most people usually answer that way too. And I would go, exactly. Let's do that with communication too. Because most of us, when we do speaking, we start with the middle, Cameron. Whereas my opinion is always start with the edges. So do the introduction 50 times until it's perfect. Conclusion 50 times until it's perfect. And then the middle until the whole thing is mastered. Same thing for the kid. She got the analogy. It worked. And I've been using it ever since. No, that's, <clears throat> that's quite impressive. A lot of people don't have... A good answer to that question. So, ten points to you um, for having oh. a, a ready-made example for for that sort of thing. So, um, so you you started out in accounting and and all this sort of thing, and then you ended up training people in public speaking. What what was it about communication that appealed to you over accounting? Yeah, great question, brother. And and before I answer that one, you actually made a very interesting comment there that I'd love to double tap on, which was, hey, Brendan, you actually give a good answer to that question. And the point I want to drive there, Cameron, is that wasn't an accident. Why is that? The reason it wasn't an accident, or I just got lucky, though sometimes I do, is because of the question drill exercise, one of the easy threes. I've been asked so many questions about communication that when you do that exercise seven, eight hundred times, eventually you have an answer for everything. So the reason I point that out is because all of us can get there. It's just the difference is that most people aren't willing to put in the five minutes a day every single day, and that's what gets people results. In terms of your question, though, Cam around the transition from accounting to public speaking. Why, why did I do that? I think a couple of reasons. Well, the first one being I was really good at it. The second one was it brought me a lot of joy and happiness because I was transforming people's lives long before I even knew you could build a business or make a living doing this. It's just something that I would have done for free anyways because I'd done it for free for three out of seven of the years that I've seven of the years that I've been coaching as of this recording. So it was just super fun for me. And the third piece is it created a unique identity for my life. I don't know many people who coach, who've, who've coached hundreds of students on communication and are only 26 years old. There's something special I, I, about communication, I guess, the, the innate gift that I had for it that really pulled me towards it. And I always believe that there's a lot of things that we could do in life, but there's usually one or two things that only we can do in the whole world, that only we're meant to do, that we're destined to do. And I feel that I'm very lucky in that way that I found what that is very early in life. So even if I had an amazing you know, accounting degree, I had a job at one of the top accounting firms in the world, I'd worked at IBM for a few years, I decided to give up that six-figure corporate salary to, to pursue this because my destiny really pushed me to do that. And of course, 
it's a lot more fun for me too. You know, it's kind of funny <clears throat> that you say that because infrequently when I have these conversations and um, I go to different conferences and hear people speak and all this type of thing, they always speak in, in this sort of very broad terminology, like, you know, destiny and purpose and mission and all this type of thing. And uh, speaking as someone who's never had any concept of that, um, why do you think that is what, what, what makes that, that special, you know, sort of placement of destiny special and real for you? Yeah, for sure, man. And fair point, by the way. You're right. A lot of people talk in that way, and I'm definitely not an exception to the rule. And and take it for someone who's been on both sides of the aisle. You know, when I was 19 and 20, I didn't really have a purpose. This was really a point. You know, my goal is super simple. Retire my mom, make a shit ton of money as an executive. That's why I did case competitions in the first place. But I think what the most valuable lesson I've learned in my 20s, Cameron, to make this a little bit more realistic for people, is that time is way more valuable than money. I always thought money was the most valuable asset on earth, but it turns out that it was time. Because even if you are a billionaire and you're in your 50s, you can't spend your money and go back to your 20s. And I think that's very profound if you think about it. So I don't think it starts with find your purpose, find your calling. I think the conversation begins with if you had all the money in the world, if I made you an instant billionaire, what would you do with your time for the rest of your life? Because most of us don't have a good answer to that question. We might say, I don't know. I might uh, travel. Then I go, well, for how long? Are you going to travel for 10, 15 years and then die? What else are you going to do with your life? And I think for me, what's really helped me in life, Cameron, is you know a quote by Tony Robbins that I'll kind of simplify. But the quote is, the quality of your life is solely determined by the quality of the questions that you ask yourself about life. My version of Tony's work is I dare you to ask a hard question about life every day for a month, because if you did, you'll never be the same ever again. And I just did that a lot. And I just got to a point in my life where, yeah, I was doing well financially, but I felt there was more. So I just went to search for it and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And eventually I found it. So what's the advice? I think the advice at the end of the day is you need to make your purpose your priority if that's something that you desire. The same way other people desire, you know, spending time with their family, doing something valuable with my life was my number one priority. So I found it. But the other piece is don't just sit there and do nothing. Take action, which means you need to favor decisions over passions for without decisions, you can never get to what you're actually meant to do in life. So that's my... Uh, hopefully pragmatic approach to your question. No, no, no. I, I, I appreciate that. It, it, it means something different to everyone and it, everybody has their own kind of sense of sense of that. I just, like I said, I just think it's interesting. People always talk in that term. So it's interesting when you have this opportunity to ask someone, you know, is that really a thing or is it just something you say? I'm that guy. That's what I do. I kind of drill down and be kind of like, let's let's visit this a few minutes more. So um, yes, that is that 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 is an excellent an excellent thought, an excellent idea. And like I said, I always ask that because I get I never had a sense of any of that sort of thing. Um, if I had no money for the rest of my life, I think I would sleep for two years and then decide what to do after that. Um, <laughs> but why two years? <laughs> Well, you have to understand, I have been I have been working in the creative industries and the performing arts since 2005 when I was 17. 
Wow. Um, I was a state legislative aide for a state senator when I was 17 as well. Um, I had my own paper route. Um, and then I did uh, my bachelor's and my master's together in four and a half years. So I got my master's when I was 23. So I've lived a very crazy, very busy life. I started the Cameron Journal in 2014. Um, and this was, and I had another publication that I started around that same time um, that was doing fine before the pandemic. And then I wrote three books and all this type of thing. So I'm tired. I'm 34. <laughs> I'm tired. Um, when you get here in eight years time, um, you might find the, the the answer to be a little less funny um and because i'm just i'm I, i'm i'm just kind of tired and wore out so um i i would sleep for two years and then decide what to do with the rest of my life um because um it's time for a nap for a while like, <laughs> <laughs> you're a fascinating guy Cameron. Yeah, so that this is what happens at the at the speed of at the speed of life when you start super young and you're really working on stuff. I think that's the same thing with like professional athletes and everything. You know, like people talk about like, oh yeah, the first thing I want to do is just like hang out. Like like yeah, like a lot of people spend their twenties and they're like, oh, they're going to this party, that party, hanging out, blah blah blah. I ran my first magazine when I was 21 years old. I had a staff of 15. Every single one of them was older than I was. Some of them were as old as my parents. In fact, I briefly hired my mother because um, I was so desperate for help. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, so I, I mean, it's something where it's like, well, everyone else was just like hanging out and sleeping in and all this type of thing. I was going to grad school plus running a publication, then broke away to do another publication, was producing theater, was sometimes an actor, all this type of thing. Like, you know, I would, you know. I, I would be busy from, you know, new morning, noon and night. So, you know, it's time for a nap. <laughs> One ain't coming anytime soon, but it's time for a nap. So uh, what, it, what is your what it, what is your plan with this speaking, public speaking, communication sort of thing? What's your what's your five year look like? How do you want to grow and develop from here? Enough about yeah. me. I'm very boring. We'll talk about you again. How is it, what's the next five years for you looking like? Yeah, for sure, Cameron. I, and I don't think you're boring at all. But I, I would say for me, the next five years, you know, my ultimate goal in life is I think the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old girl who can't afford me. That's the end game for me. And when Elon was 15 years old and he was a kid in South Africa, I normally cared about him, normally helped him with his communication skills. And I thought I could be different. Maybe I could create a YouTube channel and encyclopedia of communication, whereas even if I won't know who the next Elon is, at least they'll have my YouTube videos to work off with. So that's the end game for me. So I'd say for the next five years, given that that end goal that I have, it I think the big word is scale. Scaling the impact of the YouTube channel, scaling the coaching business so I have more resources to work with so I can invest it back into the business, into my social media accounts. And then at the end, tail end of that five years, one of my goals in my 30s is to write you know, one of the best communication books in the world. So I'll do that when I'm ready for it. That's very ambitious. That's very ambitious and quite impressive. I do kind of like that image of like a young person who has something important to say and and doesn't know a way to get it out. You know, I was that kid. I'm, 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 people know this about me. I'm autistic. And when I was a kid, I was very good at uh, ironically talking, but not writing, um, which is funny because that's what I do now. And, um, and, and I, I was definitely struggling on how to 
take all the stuff bumping around in my head and tell it to people in a way that would be interesting and exciting and compelling. And we did not have YouTube back then. <laughs> this is like 2001 when I'm having this conversation and all this type of thing. So I, I bought a book, very old book called How to Win Friends, Influence People. Right, and Cardigan. Yeah, <clears throat> when I was uh, 13 years old and I started reading I would go to the library and I would read all these books on these sorts of things. And, and then I would try stuff out and test stuff on people. And after trial and error and practice and failure and all this type of thing, I, I eventually got much better at it. And then I got into broadcasting and all that sort of thing. So that sped things along. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's a compelling image, you know, but that's not, but that's the magic of now, you know, we have YouTube where someone like you can provide something for that young person, you know. You're, you're absolutely right, Cameron. And thanks for sharing that story. They don't have to read my boring book at the library. <laughs> they can watch you. They can watch you. <laughs> I think that's what I'm super excited about. And a lot of this is serendipity too, where I was just born in the right time period of history. You know, when Dale Carnegie was alive, I'm sure he would have done the same thing as, as I'm doing right now if he was alive in this era. But because he wasn't, the only way he could create content that lived forever, unfortunately, the only medium at the time was books. He doesn't even have a documentary. I don't even think there's a speech of Dale Carnegie available somewhere where you can hear him talk. So it's unfortunate you don't get the podcast appearance either. Whereas I'm, I just you know was born in the right place at the right time, gained a ridiculous amount of communication knowledge at a super young age, and I have my whole life to do what Dale Carnegie would have done in his lifetime, and I think that's really exciting for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, I think Talking Motion Pictures. He had died by the time Talking Motion Pictures came in. Talking Talkies didn't come in till nineteen. 28 and Dale Carnegie had died by that time. So I don't think um I don't think there's any original footage of him with sound um available. So certainly the book was the best the best thing. But how compelling it must have been for those at the time who went and saw him in person, you know, and all that type of thing. And, you know, maybe someday someone will find some old wax records of his that somebody surreptitiously recorded at a public appearance or something. So <clears throat> you never know. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, to media environment and communication and all this type of thing, we're, we're in a bit of flux right now um, where we've got social media and all this type of thing we're trying to move into web 3 i went to a conference on web 3 everyone was very confused about it what do you where do you think we're going in terms of our digital communication which has seemingly taken over our lives right so so here's what i would say i would say that there's a lot of tools and some that should be prioritized more so than others so for example i think knowing how to present virtual on a zoom call makes a lot of sense because that's a permanent state that's going to be relevant for the rest of one's career for the time being until there's a new technological shift. That's one piece. The second piece is knowing how to send video or creating video. Even if you're an executive at a company, it's still relevant because you can send video messages to people that you manage, vendors, clients, stakeholders to create that unique umph, that special sauce that a lot of executives are scared to do. So it's a tool you gotta leverage if you wanna be at the top. That's the second piece that I see. The third piece that I see is really in the realm of podcasting, specifically being a guest or potentially a host if you are the host of the company's podcast, because it allows you to 
get really good at answering questions. So when you get promoted in companies, you're going to be on different panels and having different discussions. Those are the three biggest trends that I see personally. Do I think there's other ones? Absolutely. Do I think we should be prioritizing them? Probably not. Like especially Web3, I think the technology is good. I think there's some utility, especially on the NFT side, but it's going to be a while before we see new use cases for communication, which I'm not starting to see right now. You know, it's funny you should say that because that's the conclusion I came to after a four-day conference in Arizona. Um, After I got done dying from the heat, um, I live in the Pacific Northwest for a reason. Ninety, As far as I'm concerned, 95 degrees is not fit for human habitation. Um, But um, I I told people, I said, this... The Web3 right now feels very much like Facebook 2007. It's a great thing. People are using it. We don't know what to do with it yet. Correct. You know, that, and then Facebook came and then Twitter came along and then 13 people invented Instagram and all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's what we're going to do with it. So the we we don't have a Mark Zuckerberg of Web3 yet. You know, we don't have these people who have gotten a chance to play with the stuff and figure out what to do with it. So we're we're still kind of in a bit of a holding pattern, waiting for somebody's brilliance to click in one night at three o'clock in the morning and be like, oh, that's how I do that. And then they go create something that will absolutely change our lives. So I think we're still we're still in the early days yet. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. You got it, Cameron. There's no clear winner yet is another way of phrasing what you said, where the Zuck- Which is much more simple and elegant than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Most of my clients are in tech, so, so I, I think a lot about this. And and yeah, that's that's really the point that you're driving, that I'm driving as well, is this, the next Zuck is out there. He's building or she's building. We just don't know who that person is yet because they haven't exited or become big enough for them for them to be public. But yeah, it's definitely coming for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation on communication, talking about talking, as I said in the intro. Um, (laughs) Yes, uh, why don't you tell our listeners where we can find you online and how they can connect with you? Absolutely, Kevin. This is a great conversation. Thanks for having me. I would say two quick ways to keep in touch. The first one, definitely the YouTube channel, type master talk in one word, and you'll have access to hundreds of free videos on how to communicate ideas effectively. And the second way to keep in touch is I do a free training over Zoom every three weeks. That's live, that's interactive, that's fun. It's not some boring webinar. I'm on the call and I facilitate it. So if you want to join it, go to rockstarcommunicator.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on the Cameron Journal podcast. Of course. My pleasure, Cameron. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.